0: Today's scripture reading is James 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Well, again, church, welcome. My name is Nathan, if I haven't met you yet. And let me just say, I think uh, my favorite part of my sort of new role is working with Carolyn, Katie, and Olivia. They're pretty great. So uh, we, we are very blessed uh, to have them on this this team. So really thankful. Let me, let me pray for us, and then uh, we will jump in uh, together to, to God's word in the book of James. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we need to hear from you. God, we, we come as hungry people, um, longing for your presence longing for your community longing for your voice to help us know how to live how to how to flourish how to belong and god how to be forgiven for the ways in which we blow it and so we thank you that you have revealed those things to us through your word and so as we center ourselves once again around your words written so long ago i pray that you would speak to us through your spirit we pray this in christ's name amen we are in the middle of what some experts would call a, an American public health crisis. And I know for like some of you hear that, well, well, yeah, of course we are. It's like, but I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about COVID. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, obesity or opioids or addictions or any of the, any of the you know, myriad of things you and I tend to think of when we hear the phrase public health crisis. I'm talking about... Wait for it. Church attendance. I'll stop rolling your eyes. right? I get it. Before you completely dismiss that as just another dumb thing pastors say to get us to come to church, like you need to look at some of the, the research that I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning here. Uh, so the, the recent work, is an article just recently published by two individuals, Tyler Vanderweel, he's the professor of epidemiology at the Harvard School of Public Health and director of human flourishing at Harvard. Uh, and then Brendan Case is the associate director there at Harvard as well. And there, there are older studies that show similar things. Uh, but these two guys, Tyler and Brendan in particular, these Harvard nerds, uh, they recently published their findings in an article titled, Empty pews are an American public health crisis. And so part of their, part of their study, they, they, they looked back over, over many years, so they found out like 10 years ago, and this is, this is common data, you can, you can look up all of this, 10 years ago, uh, 43% of Americans said they went to church every week. Now, pastors know that that's not really true, uh, but they said they went 43% um, uh, every, every single, single week. But by February of 2020, so pre-COVID, right, those numbers had already dropped to 29%. And we all know, right, in the last 19 months since COVID, it has continued to drop. Okay, maybe you think, well, that's, that's unfortunate, right? That that's, seems problematic, but why would we call that a public health crisis? Well, listen, listen to what they found. First of all, they say, our, our findings aren't unique. Again, you could find other studies that, that corroborate this. So a large number, a number of large, well-designed research studies have found that religious service attendance is associated with greater longevity, less depression, less suicide, less smoking, less substance abuse, better cancer and cardiovascular disease survival, less divorce, greater social support, greater meaning in life, greater life satisfaction, more volunteering, and greater civic engagement. And really, the the whole point of their article, right, this is their thesis, is that going to church remains central to human flourishing. So, like, think about that. Like, church is, according to all these studies, church is good for you. Like, who knew, right? And, and not just, like, spiritually, but physically, emotionally, relationally, like, holistically, in all these different areas. Like, and look, look at these, these numbers, for example, from the article. Just, just a few of them. Regular church attendance uh, reduces your risk of death by 33%. Risk of suicide by 84%. Risk of depression by 29%. Risk of divorce by 50%. On and on. And so Nathan, why? Like, why are you telling us? Like, we're we're already here. Like, we get it. We're here. I, I know, right? So I'm, not, I'm not trying to convince you something. Of already uh, that you already know. Nor am I trying to, trying to shame those who aren't here. That's not that's not the point, right? But rather, it's to remind us that church isn't just something we do. It's something we need. It's not just something we do. It's something we. It's central. To human flourishing. So turn turn to James chapter five if you haven't already. We're wrapping up our, our series in the book of James uh, today. We've been studying it for the last several weeks together. It's a tiny little letter. It's written by Pastor James, who's the, the half-brother of Jesus. And, and throughout this, this study, we've we've called this series real faith, because that's really what James is getting at. What is real faith? Like not the not the imitation kind, right? The, the genuine kind, the kind that actually changes us. And James is, is so practical, right? He's given us wisdom about facing trials, about how we use our, our words, our plans, our desires. I mean, super practical. But how does he, how does he conclude? Where, where does, what is he sort of building to? Well, he's, he's building to, to showing us how we are able to kind of live this sort of wise life as followers of Jesus. And I think he ends really with this idea that real faith Needs a place to belong. Real faith. If you want real faith, like the genuine life changing kind of faith, it needs a place to belong. This is why the church is central to human flourishing and all these studies. It's why if if we avoid it or ignore it, it's a public health crisis. But it's not just something we do, it's something we need. You and I both, we need a place to belong. And James gives us three reasons why this is so important. So the, the, the last section here of James, right, the whole the context here is all about the, kind of the, the local church community, how they engage and serve and care for one another. And, and Jesus, he didn't invent the church um, to be a hobby, right, something we just fit in if we have time on Sundays. He, he didn't, he didn't uh, invent it merely as like an activity, like something we're just here for an hour, we check it off the list and move on. No, he created it, to be a place where we can belong. We belong to him relationally, but also with one another. And the more and more we learn about what it means to be a human, right? And what it means to flourish as humans. Like we know that belonging is absolutely essential, right? To have a people, right? A a people that, that are committed to you no matter what, a people that you're committed to. Like we know that that's so important. Who genuinely loves and cares for one another in good times and in bad and in James, like, he recognizes that. You heard, you heard that when we read it. We're going to read it again in a second here. But he knows that the church has both, that the family of God, like us as people, we have both suffering and celebration, sickness and sin, confession and restoration. It all kind of comes out here in these final verses. And truly, really one of my favorite things about being a part of the Shawnee campus these past couple months is, is watching this lived out, right? Because We've seen that. We've experienced that here. So many of you are deeply committed relationally to one another. You, you love each other really, really well. It's been kind of a beautiful thing to, to see and, and be a part of. For many of you, right, you know this. That's why you're here. This is a place where you feel like you belong to the community. And if you haven't experienced that, whether that's here or a previous church experience, I'm, I'm really sorry. Because that ought to be an essential part of what it means to be a part of a church, right? to, to walk in these doors and feel, feel like you belong. It's why, we, it's why we work really hard as a staff to remember names, right? Maybe you've, maybe you've noticed that. Hopefully you've noticed that. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. I'm sorry if you haven't. Uh, but we, we want to remember names because when we remember each other, when we know each other, like we feel like you belong. And I, I remember what it was like for me as a, as a senior in high school. Uh, questioning my faith, wrestling with it. My family just started attending uh, a different church. It was a, a church plant uh, in Overland Park called Christ Community. Um, as a high school student, and my second Sunday back, somebody on staff remembered my name. And as a high schooler, right, who felt completely unseen, didn't feel like I belonged anywhere, dealing with what I began to understand was kind of some depression, and all that thing, questioning my faith, that meant a ton to me. It's like, this is a place where I can belong. And I think James gives us three things that happen when we belong. Both that happen when we belong and also that help facilitate our belonging. Three things here in particular. So first of all, when we belong, this is the first point. When we belong, we can ask for help. When we belong, we can ask for help. Which I'm just saying personally, like I hate, I hate doing I'm bad at it. I I do not like asking for help. But look at what James says. Let's go back to the beginning there of what Carolyn read for us. Beginning, chapter 5, verse 13. James says, is anyone among you suffering? Yeah, probably. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Yeah, probably. Let Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And he's going to talk more about prayer. We'll get we'll get to that in a second. But he starts kind of with this whole gamut of emotions, whether whether you are suffering or you are celebrating. Right? That there, there's a place there's a place for you, a place for that, and it kind of builds onto this place of like asking for prayer, asking the elders to pray, asking your church family for help. And James specifically mentions elders here. I think that's, that's important, but I think the context here of James's writing is really those who are, are spiritually mature, like those who, who are further ahead than you are in following Jesus, to find them and to ask them to pray. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a pastor, right? What about, what about the oil, right? Maybe you read that, and I think for us culturally, like, what does that mean? Is that do we do that? It's like, well, yeah, we actually, we do. Uh, we've done, we've done, I've done that several times. So as, a, as a pastor, if someone asks, like, can we pray, can we do oil? Abso- absolutely, we can do that. And, and, and yet, many scholars, I think the point there of the oil, many scholars would say that oil in the, in the scriptures is often as a symbol of God's presence, uh, and particularly in the Old Testament, like if you, if you know the Old Testament and like anointing the king and all that, it's a symbol, it's a sign that God is, is with you, right? And for James writing primarily to Jewish Christians, like this Old Testament symbol would have meant a ton. And so yeah, we can, we can certainly do that. We're not discounting that by any means, but the, as a symbol, it's not the most important ingredient to what James is, is mentioning here. The most important part is that you ask for help and people pray in response, right? And listen, again, I, I hate asking for help. It's just, I mean, it's, it's really hard for me. And part of my, part of my personality is like I would, I would in many ways, sadly, I would rather suffer alone than like be a bother to someone else, right? But the reality is James doesn't really care, does he? Like, he knows that we, as, as humans, like, we need a place where we belong enough where we can ask one another for help. Where we can let each other into the, the deepest, hardest things that we're, we're experiencing going through so that we can actually carry them together. And I can, I can tell you, like, one of, my, one of my pet peeves as a pastor and I'm just as bad, so I know, like, this is, this is me. I would be this this parishioner. But one of my pet peeves is, like, when, when after the fact we hear from somebody within our church family that, like, you were going through a really, really hard time. And I've, I've heard all of the excuses, like, well, we know how busy you guys are, or I didn't want to be a bother, or it wasn't that big of a deal. But again, like, James isn't saying this is like an optional thing. This is like when this happens, when we're sick, and I think obviously he's talking about physically, but I think we can broaden that. When we're, when we're going through junk, our responsibility as a community that belongs is to ask one another to carry these burdens with us, to ask for help, and to pray. And again, not just not just pastors, right? But your community group, your Bible studies, uh, the people that are sitting around you for, for your individual good and for our collective good. That when we belong, we can ask for help. Which again, I think most of us, many of us, I'm sure, are really bad at this. You know, we live in such sort of an individualistic society, such a I'm, you know, I I got this kind of mentality. It's really hard. And yet, when we share our burdens with one another, there's great joy in the sense of belonging. So That's, that's the first thing. When we belong, we can ask for help. Second, and these are, these are clearly connected, right? When we belong, we can expect God together. We can expect God together because the help, right, that James is talking about is inviting people to pray with you and for you. And when we pray together... Like James says, like God will, God does something, right? Something, something happens there. And so, yes, there, there's tangible help we can give when people ask for help. But James is really pushing for a community that prays together, expecting God together. And so, let me let me read again, right? Verse verse fourteen, and I'll go a little further this time. He says, "Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith." will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah, for example, I love that he gives this example, was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore it's fruit. I love, I love that he gives Elijah as the example, right? Because Elijah, again, he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience, Jewish Christians, right? And Elijah was the prophet of prophets in the Old Testament. I mean, this guy, I mean, he was amazed, like so much so that, that some people, when they first met Jesus in the, in the New Testament, they, they wondered if he was Elijah back from the dead. That's how big a deal Elijah was. But James is like, but Elijah was just like us, He's of like nature. That's what he's saying. He's just just another human, and yet, and yet, when he prayed, God worked. And he's saying us, as a community of people, that we ought to expect God to do the same. And yet, I know, right? Even as we say that, as we hear those words, I can see it in some of your faces. Kind of this, yeah, but I've, I've tried that. Like, how, how many of us can say, yeah, I've, I've done these things, right? Done it all exactly like he said, and God didn't come through like I anticipated, right? He doesn't always do what we ask when we pray. And just transparently, I'm not sure that there's anything that, 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 um, that makes it difficult to believe, Right? difficult to trust in moments like that. It challenges our faith, doesn't it? And so how, how do we expect God when God doesn't always do what we expect, right? When he doesn't always do what we want him to. I don't have any easy answers to this one, I assure you, but I often think of the Apostle Paul because uh, Paul was sort of like the Elijah of the New Testament, right? He, he experienced miracles. He, he saw, answered prayer. He experienced all, all of that kind of stuff. And yet there's a, there's a season in Paul's life that he had this, this chronic suffering. And he prayed and said, Jesus, like, take it away. And then he prayed again, and he prayed it again, right? Some of you know that story. And if anyone was a person of faith, like a righteous person, again, the kind of person that James describes here, it was Paul. And yet still, Jesus said, no. Paul, Paul didn't give. Jesus didn't give Paul what he was asking for. Instead, what we read is that Jesus gave Paul grace. Instead of healing, he gave him more grace to deal with it. In fact, it says in Second Corinthians, you can read about that in Second Corinthians 12. But Jesus says, Paul says that Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. So it's like even, even though I'm not, I'm not going to do what you're asking i'm not going to give you what you want or at least what you think you want i'm going to give you what you need what's really best in that moment and so i don't i don't think when we read passages like this in james i don't think james is saying that god is like some cosmic vending machine right we just put in the right amount of change right hit the right buttons that that he's just some sort of cosmic genie ready to give us whatever we want i don't think that's it at all i think what james is rather trying to communicate is that god is always with his people right? And he's always on the side of his people, and that when we come together, we can trust him to give us what he thinks is best for us. Because even if you, if you just stay in James, like, just remember how James started, right? Very, the very first words out of James' mouth in this letter are, count it joy when you suffer. He's not saying that we can pray ourselves out of suffering, right? It's not, it's not what's happening at the end here. He knows that this life as we live it, as we seek to follow Jesus, is going to be filled with suffering. But together with God's people, knowing that Jesus is with us, that he is for us, there's grace. And I think that's more of what James is pushing us towards, that whether God heals us from our suffering or gives us enough grace to be faithful in our suffering either way we can expect god i love how new testament scholar craig blomberg reflects on this passage he writes somewhere in our prayers we must find a balance between never expecting god to heal right and some of us are there we're too jaded right? god's never gonna do this why bother but he says, don't do that but also the balance between doing that and requiring him to heal on demand and essentially just becoming jaded and angry if he doesn't. And so we, we expect him. But we expect him to do what is best, not what we think is best. Actually, a couple of weeks ago, Carolyn, uh, on our staff, who was just up here a moment ago, she reminded me uh, of this because we have these we have these values as a church, like these cultural values, these cultural habits, these these five things that we want true of all of our staff, kind of the behind the scenes of uh, of the environment, the working environment of of our of our church. And, and the very first one on that list, you can see them; they're hanging in the office, uh, in the Shawnee office here. Uh, the very first one is we expect God. Like that's just part of if we're gonna if we're gonna do this work together, we expect God, but I was worried about something, I wasn't in a great place, um, something I couldn't control, right, had no control over, it. and Carolyn just said to me, Nathan, but we, you know, like basically she pointed out the wall, Nathan, we expect God, right? And so in that, in that moment, it was like instead of, instead of worrying, and we do this, right, we try to control everything, we try to overcompensate with that, we talked about that last week with James, with, with our plans, but instead of doing that, we said, no, we're going to devote this, instead of devoting it to worry, we're going to devote it Prayer, right? And even though we still don't know how God is going to work out in this particular situation, we're going to trust Him in it. And, and the, point, the point here is that, um, at, least, at least for me, is that it's really hard to expect God alone, right? When we're isolated, when we're, when we're away from others, like we, that's when, that's, at least for me, that's when I, I start to control the most, it's when I worry the most, I, I get afraid the most or overwhelmed the most, all of those kinds of things. I'm just distracted, right? And I forget. But when we're in a community of belonging, we get to remind each other. That's, that's why, this is what we do every week. We remind each other that we believe that there is a God who loves us, who knows us, who has our best interests at heart. That's why we sing to one another, right? Not just, we sing upward, yes, but we sing to each other. We need to remind one another. My faith, people, my faith is never stronger than when I'm with God's people. And when we pray together, we can expect him together. That's the second thing. And then finally, finally, when we belong, we can be who we really are. Be who we really are. Hey, and not just like, don't misunderstand, not just like in all of our brokenness, like James is saying, oh, hey, we can just wallow in our sin and, you know, just be yourself kind of, th-. that's, not, that's not exactly what he's, he's getting at, right? It's not what he wants for this community. Instead, it's, it's actually where we begin to, become who God has always created us to be. Not, not our old selves, not the brokenness and the sin, not that we're, we're not like wallowing in that. No, it's, it's a place where we get to become who we were always meant to be. And it takes a community of people to be able to do that. So look again at, at, verse, at verse 16. It says, therefore confess your sins to one another. It's the only place in Scripture it says to do it to one another, right? Sometimes we think of confessing to God, or sometimes, depending on your tradition, you might think of confessing to a priest. But right here, it just simply says, confess to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then skip down to the end, right? He ends with these words in verse 19. He says, my brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And the picture here is that there's, there's such a strong family of belonging, like this commitment, this humility, this love, that we can actually confess our sins to each other. And it be Okay. Like to be able to do to to say, this is where I'm blowing it, right? This is where I've messed up. This is where I need God's forgiveness to actually be able to own those things with one another and for it to be okay. That we can actually be a part of pulling each other back from wandering, he says. Like in many ways that we get to be a part of each other's salvation. Just think about that for a moment. But in order to live that out, like, you have, you have to know that you belong. Otherwise, we'll never have the courage. It's too scary, right? We'll never have the humility to be able to do that. It's just too, it's too overwhelming. Only then can you have such confidence in the community around you that they're actually going to take care of you in your confession. That they're not going to walk out on you. They're not going to somehow use your words against you or spread it beyond you. Like you have to feel safe to be able to do that. And so even just, just think for a moment, like when's the last time you've confessed your sins to another human? Just shared what you're dealing with, right? When's the, we, don't, we don't do that very often, right? We like to keep those things pretty, pretty close to the chest. And, and part of it's even like, well, but God is the one who forgives, right? I'm going to confess to God, and, and that'll be enough. And it's true. God is the one who forgives. Like, he's not, he's not minimizing that. You don't have to do it this way. And yet, if you want to be, like, if you want the chains that are keeping you in your shame and your sin to be broken, this is a powerful way to do it. Because the reality is, I mean, some of you, if you've experienced, like, there's, there is power in confession. Like, when, when you do that with another person, and they don't walk out of the room. Like, when you do that and you experience love and mercy, when you hear that other person say, yeah, but God forgives you. Like, I know all those things are true about God. I know they are. Like, I, I know that God is not going to walk out on me, but I can't see it. I know that he's going to continue to love me, but I don't always feel it. I've never actually heard him say the words to me. I forgive you. I've never heard those words from him. Not audibly. But when we experience that in another person, in a place where we know we belong, like I begin to to think maybe God does love me a little bit like that. And there are a few things that can free us from our shame, break us from our patterns of sin, or yank us out of our wanderings like that. And the reality is if we feel like we belong enough to actually confess our sins to one another then certainly we'll be able to ask for help and be able to ask for prayer expecting God to show up. And this is the kind of community we're hungry for, isn't it? Like where else where else do we get an option like this, an opportunity like this, a, a place where we can actually Rely on one another, trust one another, grow together with one another, be who we really are with one another. Where, where else can you do that today? This is the kind of belonging that without it, we're in a public health crisis. Because real faith needs a place to belong and the church is meant to be that place. And I studied, as I studied this past week, I couldn't help but think of my friend um, Brad. Brad. Um, Brad went to be with Jesus a few months ago. I um, was with him right at the end. Um, did his funeral. Um, and have a long history with Brad. Brad was a part of our church in Olathe for a really, really long, years and years. So a long, long time with, with Brad. And when Brad was given just a few months to live, cancer, uh, we did exactly, this is why I couldn't, I couldn't help but think of Brad. I remembered specifically, I, we did exactly. James outlines for us. And you know what? I mean, it's sort of interesting. Like, Brad was supposed to die within a few months. It actually was about a decade, um, which it, I don't know what to make of that, because, like, on the one hand, like, man, wow, God spared him. Like, he got, he got to meet some of his, his grandkids and see his daughter, his youngest daughter get married and all of that. I mean, so, yes, like, God did something, He still died way too young. And those 10 years were full of suffering, physical heartache and pain. It's like, what do you you make of that, right? And yet I, I do know this. Brad lived out exactly the kind of faith that James talked about at the very beginning, right? When he started his letter, he said, count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So Brad, I I think he lived that out. And he had a community of people around him who loved him, who walked with him in it, right? A place where he belonged. He was never never alone. And Brad had real faith, and he, he flourished in a place in which he belonged still died, but he died loved, surrounded by God's people, and he's now with Jesus. And church, I don't, I don't know about you, but I would rather die all too young, surrounded by people who know me and love me, and welcomed into Jesus' arms than living forever alone without him wouldn't you? Church isn't something we do. (laughs) It's something we need, something we're desperate for. Real faith needs a place to belong. And so do you want to belong? Do you want the kind of flourishing that God intends for us in his family? If so, and I think, right, if we're honest, I think we all do, right, we long for this. If that's true, then ask for help. Like, let people in. Let people carry whatever it is you're carrying with you. Ask them for, for help. And then expect God together. Like, pray together. Find people to pray with, to pray for. And then be who you are. Like, not, not staying in the worst versions of yourself, but so that you can grow and change. That we can become all that God intended us for, for us to be. And church, we, we get to do that work together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do think this is, this is what I long for. God, I know, I know that. Um, this kind of community, this kind of healing, this kind of hope, I pray that you would do that work here. And God, for the places I know that many of us have felt that, have experienced that through your church, God, we're so grateful. And, and for those maybe who are sitting here who haven't had that or maybe are new, Lord, I, I pray that you would help them to find it and find it quickly. Help us know how to help in that, uh, that we could together become more and more like Jesus. God, we, that's what we want. We want to become like you, Lord Jesus. We want to glorify your name in all things, and God, we thank you that we don't have to figure out how to do that by ourselves, that you've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, and you've given us your people. And so we give you thanks, and we praise you now together in Jesus' name.